Good afternoon and welcome to Air Brooklyn. This is your host, Ben Piven. Today I'm joined by Mehdi Maksudnia, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Vitagene. This is a fascinating company and I think maybe we could just start off, Mehdi, if you want to explain the basic contours of what Vitagene does. Sure, sure, um, Ben. Thank you for your interest in Vitagene. Um, so we are building uh, a platform for personalization of healthcare products. So what that means is increasingly consumers want uh, to get the right product that is a fit for them, um, and and they want to know that the product that they have selected either be uh, vitamin supplements or their sort of healthcare products that is tailored to their health condition, DNA, medication, and lifestyle. So we have built a very sophisticated platform that uh, looks at your health profile and then selects the right set of products that are sort of designed around the information uh, that is tailored to you. So uh, it, it sort of uh, acts like a, think of it as like a physician on steroids. Um, it has knowledge about 25,000 interactions with the medication and supplements. It knows about 80 to 90,000 different uh, variations in your genetics and looks at all those information and says, hey, Ben, you should be taking this type of fish oil and you shouldn't be taking that type of, um, you know, vitamin D or, or C or A or B. So think of it that way. Okay. And how reliable, Mehdi, would you say that this science is in 2017? You've got data that tells you what the interactions are between my makeup and medications, um, how much can we trust that information? Very good question. Um, so let's say the engine that we have is probably the most accurate um, set of uh, data that you have out there, uh, given how vast um, the space is. Um, so just to take medication and supplement interactions. Um, there are, as, as I sort of mentioned, there are at least 25,000 interactions between medication and supplements. So our platform looks for all of those. Now, um, it is by by no means perfect, meaning that there are probably many interactions out there that have never been discovered yet. But comparing it with the state of art today, which is your physician or your doctor, it is far more accurate. So let's say your doctor, top of his head, will remember five or 10 or maybe 100 interactions. Our platform will catch 25,000 interactions. So you can you can do the same thing in every area. So genetics is the same, lifestyle, food. Every one of these areas, the amount of information is expanding rapidly. So a algorithm uh, that is being updated constantly will do far better than your local sort of experts on the ground. Uh, whoever that might be, might be your friend, might be someone at Whole Foods telling you what to take. Uh, but in terms of is it 100% accurate, there's no such thing today. The, the space is so vast that no one really understands 100% of the interactions between uh, genetic food supplement. And that science is constantly evolving. I like that you cited that figure 100% because I think that actually is a perfect segue into my next question. Your reports often say, use the adverb likely when describing the likelihood of a person um, being 
tolerant or intolerant of something like lactose, gluten, etc., um, why not use a an actual numerical figure rather than these qualitative adverbs? Do you have a number in the background that you're not surfacing, you're not displaying for the end user, for the customer, or are you do you have something that's also non-numerical and you're just using an adverb that seems to correspond best to the data you have? <laughs> this is a very clever <laughs> question. Um, very clever. Um, so, so um, the, the reality is there is a number behind the scenes. So the algorithm tends to compute uh, a weight factor and gives us a percentage. So you would tell us that you're 70% likely to have gluten intolerance, for example. Now, you have to understand that that percentage is based on the existing data sets out there. Um, and it's hard to explain to people when you give them a number that that number is not a guarantee, but a current statistical model based on all existing facts. So it is easier for consumers to, to give them language like likely so that they don't take that number to heart thinking, no, 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 there's like a 30% chance that I am or not. Um, again, the science in this area is moving so fast. And, and our understanding of how other factors impact your tendencies, your health uh, sort of conditions, uh, is, is rapidly changing. So it's safer to sort of tell you that you have a potential likely reaction to something than to give you a number uh, where the basis of that number might be changing over time, if that makes sense. Mm. So that's your best... Um you've decided that's the best methodology for now. Um, but do you get some people who look at your qualitative assessments and they say, oh, wait, but you told me that I was likely because maybe you had a 65% chance, whatever, but that's wrong. Um, what if they say, oh, but I've, I'm not uh, lactose intolerant or whatever that may be? Yeah, there are actually. Um, so there's always a good 10% of the, of the customers who uh, tell you uh, that the product didn't meet their expectations, that they wanted a more precise um, sort of answer or a more um, certain answer. And each try to sort of get on the phone and explain to people the science and why it's hard to sort of make that statement today. Um, but, yeah, people do tend to want a simple answer, right? They want a binary answer. Is it true or not? Is it right or wrong? Um, reality is you tend to be much more complex than that. So your behavior, the environment you grew up in, how you eat, all these factors play into the likelihood of you either developing a condition or not developing a condition, all the way from allergy to everything else in your life. Um, so we tend to explain that to people and say it's hard for us to give you a definitive answer. Uh, we can tell you what to do to decrease your odds. So, for example, we can tell you what to do to decrease the odds that your blood glucose level tends to go higher, right? So we can give you recommendations, but it's hard to give you a very simple answer, yes or no, mm. when it comes to health situation. Right. So there was one particular piece of the analysis that I found interesting and potentially very relevant in my own personal report, but I also wondered if that was applicable to most people out there, and that was 
this idea that I wouldn't be able to lose weight just through exercise. And I'm wondering if that's something that applies to, you know, 60% of the population that's taking your test or whether that in particular responds to, you know, two or three genes where, you know, that's something that I uniquely have or that I share with 20% of the population that really specifically bears this genetic um, code that predetermines to some extent that, yes, uh, losing weight will have to involve other things than just exercise. Very good answer and question. Um, so I can I can tell you um, that we have that data set within our database. I can't pull it up right now, but we know exactly um, what percentage of our population within the Vitagene community has certain variations with certain tendencies. Um, I can perhaps look up and tell you what that is for your specific. Uh, conditions, uh, it's hard to make that statement about the U.S. population at large, since only about 2% of the U.S. population has done their genetic testing. Mm. So we actually don't know. Uh, in, in, in the large number of people out there that haven't done their testing will sort of determine how common these variations are in people. Um, we clearly see the tendencies to be um, clustered around ethnicity, so depending on what your background is, you tend to share more of those variations with people from a similar background. Mm-hmm. Um, so so your sort of your past, your ancestral sort of heritage defines a lot of those variations. But mm-hmm. um, I can tell you within the Vitagene community, I can't tell you at large what those um, percentages are. Sure. So, I mean, this was just one that I picked out that I know when I mention to other people, my my peers, friends, family, they happen to point out specifically with that one point of analysis, oh, isn't that quite a general thing? Isn't that true for most people? How is that level of analysis necessarily helpful? And so, yeah, do you have a statistic then for Vitagene customers on on that uh, variable? I can get it for you. I don't have a tell me okay, here. That's fine. I have to yeah. get it for you. Um but but the the, the answer to your question is if in general you talk about weight loss, ninety seven plus percent of diet fail. Um and mostly they fail because people have a hard time changing their eating behavior. It has less to do with exercise, more to do with the fact that um changing uh eating patterns are hard behaviorally. So um, people tend to lose weight and then bounce back because they go back to their default sort of mode, mode of operation. Um, but I don't think that answers your question of, you know, are, are the genetic, you know, um, sort of uh, variations in you and other people like you who makes it harder for you to lose weight based on exercise? That I can tell you the percentages if I dig into the data. Okay. So that brings me to the next question of, is this really more about our genes than about our behavior? Since what you're saying is that ultimately we have to make a decision what types of foods will I be eating and what types of quantities. Um, so doesn't that mean that it really is about our learned responses to the environment and how to cope with those things rather than something that's really as fatalistic as being in our you know, A, T, C, G, 
genetic code? Well, it's a it's a combination of the two. Unfortunately, <laughs> <Pushing against, laughs> right. isn't, isn't a simple one or the other. So, so the best way to think about it is your genetic is like the blueprint of your home. It, it tells you how your body was built, like the blueprint uh, tells you how your your house was built. Uh, but when you enter into your home today, uh, what it looks like is a combination of how you built it, but you, how you maintain it, and what you do in terms of the furniture you buy and how you live within that house and, and how clean you are. Um, so your body is very similar. So your genetic is telling you how your body was built. And then your behavior is telling you how you're maintaining that body. Um, and both are critical. Now, unfortunately for some people, genetically they have variations that are uh, are deterministic, meaning that um, given the genetic variation, they will find you know, certain problems in, in their health and condition and so on and so forth. So you could genetically be in a in a position where you lack certain type of nutrients in your body or or you have a certain predisposition to disease. But what you do with your body also tells a lot about what happens in the future. Um, mm. So there's a combination of the two. And, and I would say for most people, it is 70% behavior, 30% genetics. Mm. But for a small group of people, that percentage actually flips. Mm. So, so your genetic could overrule your behavior. Uh, but the, 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 the beauty of where we are as a, as a species, you know, we have so evolved over these years. So most people that have had bad genetic uh, sort of variations have not survived throughout history, um, and 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 unfortunately, the lineage haven't survived. So, most people that you see today don't have fundamental genetic flaws. The majority mm. don't. They have dispositions that the behavior might might promote. Mm. Um, so it's safe to say that if you behave and eat well and exercise and so on, then you can overcome your genetic dispositions. Mm. Um, but there are exceptions to that rule, so I want to make sure that there are there are a, a low percentage of people whose genetic overrides the behavior. Sure. Now, moving on to uh, those different areas besides just exercise, um, with supplements in general, do you feel that the supplement business is keeping pace with genetic testing and? How do you feel that the product is responding to the case of improvements with the with the genetic testing? Yeah, actually, we are not a supplement company, so um, we, we actually don't make supplements. And, and we, what we do is we basically build a very sophisticated profile of you. We call the Vitagene Vitality Profile, and then we partner with supplement companies that personalize the supplements and ship them to you based on your Vitagen profile. We actually don't manufacture anything or we're not in the business of supplements. What we do is we, we do partner with people who have very high-quality supplements, and then we have let them essentially tailor the supplements to your profile. So we let them know that, you know, for Ben, he should not be taking certain nutrients, and he should be taking certain nutrients. And these companies essentially package their supplements and 
at the right dosages and ship them to you at your home. And we will be doing this with other product companies that want to tailor their products to your profile. And to what extent are people motivated to try out your full recommendations list? I forget if it was 10 or 12 things that were proposed that I take as a as a user, as a customer. How often do you find that people really are following through and, and ordering from that list? It's a great question. Um, so the number of people who are compliant with the recommendation is low. So as you know, people are not even compliant with their medications. So compliance in general in the human population is low. We tend to experience the same level of compliance that you see in patients taking their medications. Mm. Um, and that tends to be in the low double digits. In terms of the number of uh, supplements, uh, people tend to be comfortable taking four to eight pills. More than that, the compliance drops. Mm. So there tends to be a tendency that if you tell them here's what you need. Four to eight pills seems to be the sweet spot for compliance. Uh, after that, uh, people have a hard time being compliant. Now, you mentioned taking pills. Uh, one of the things that I'm quite curious about is I've actually met some scientists who say that doctors in hospitals could be using genetic tests much more frequently to see how people are likely to respond to, say, a cholesterol drug or a diabetes drug. Yeah. yeah. And is this something that you're seeking to integrate much more into your model? I've noticed that that wasn't so much a part of the information that was in my report, but uh, it seems like that's something especially older folks would potentially be quite interested in understanding and that there's huge commercial value in it and also uh, just a value proposition because that is potentially quite vital information. Yeah, it is. It's called pharmacogenomics, and um, we don't have that in our product today because that's an FDA-related because uh, what? diagnosis. It is considered to be a medical diagnostic report, mm. and you have to have FDA approval. Mm. So um, although your genetics do help uh, so inform you about which drugs work for you, in order to tell that to consumers, you need to get FDA approval. I see. So, okay. so you can't actually say it to people without getting <laughs> Okay, I see. So in that case, let's go back to the uh, metabolism, coffee metabolism, <laughs> a much more uh, pedestrian characteristic. On my report, it said that I metabolized coffee quickly. And I just don't know. I was trying to figure out. I'm, I'm not a huge coffee drinker in the summertime. Sometimes I'll have an mm -hmm. iced latte. Mm -hmm. Normally I drink tea. Often it does have caffeine. But I'm just curious, for example, with the coffee metabolism, if you say that someone does metabolize it quickly, does that mean it doesn't necessarily have a huge impact on them and they would be they would have a high tolerance so they'd be inclined to drink more, or does that just mean their body processes it more quickly? That's actually an excellent question and now you reach my level of scientific knowledge. I have to ask our <laughs> chief medical officer. Right. Uh the fact that we left that uh, open in the description tells me that we need to fix that. Mm. So that that question is an excellent question. And yeah, the team is saying uh, a fast metabolizer will get less of a heart palpitation and, and uh, caffeine dosage than a slow metabolizer. Mm, interesting. So it would affect you less if you're fast. Right, right. 
Are there any other general observations about where this is all going, either with your company specifically, with the industry more broadly for, for humankind? Yeah, actually, I think um, the the field of uh, healthcare is rapidly changing, and it's a very exciting time. I mean, um, I'm I'm I myself am a computer scientist, so I sort of grew up in the in the age of computing. And uh, what we saw happen in the field of computing was over 30 years we went from you know the mainframe to the iPhone in your pocket, right? And the same rate of change is happening in healthcare. And and it's just really exciting to see how much information and and science is coming online about exactly how does your body work. And so I think in about 10, 15 years, um, people look back at the state of healthcare that we have today, uh, very similar to how you would look at the notion of computing 30 years ago. Uh, you would find what we do today to be extremely primitive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we just we just are. are Essentially, shooting in the dark. Where, ten, fifteen years from now, uh, we would have an unbelievable amount of information exactly what's going on in your body, and what needs to happen to to help you on an individual basis. This notion of precision health is going to be uh, just accepted by everyone, and you will not get random medication and random treatment based on the disease, but based on who you are. Um, so that's just going to become the norm. Uh, 10, 15 years from now. Hmm. And that's all very exciting and also potentially scary, but um, encouraging about improving our lifespans and the quality of our lives um, and making science work to our advantage. So uh, where can our listeners find out more about Vitagene and where should they look for your products on, on social media or on the Internet? Yeah, no, the products actually sold at all major um, sort of online retailers like Amazon. You can find it on our website at vitagen.com. And um, there's a ton of information if you go to our site and go to the science lab. If you want to learn more, uh, there is a tremendous amount of information about the science. Uh, and, and we cover every topic from all the medications, the supplements, the diseases, the genetics. So you can leave for years to come if you're interested in the science itself. Right, right. I think it's a really fascinating area, maybe, and for my own interest, and I think also uh, societally, there's so much room for opportunity to enrich our understanding about ourselves and be able to um, purchase a service which can enlighten us and, and help us live better. So hopefully there's a lot more enlightenment on that front and that you're able to um, capitalize on the opportunity to improve people's quality of living. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate the time. Excellent. Well, thank you for uh, being on Air Brooklyn today, Mehdi. Check us out again soon.